Get a jump start on 2024 in a new Kia from Robert Brogdon's Olathe Kia. Shop their large selection, including the new Sorento, Nero, and Soul models. You'll score big with low prices, trade assist cash, and a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit OlatheKia.com. Welcome into Sports Night, Sports Radio 810 WHB. I am Sterling Holmes, joined by Dylan Michaels behind the glass. Fun show as we're joined by Jordan Foote, Deputy Editor of Arrowhead Report at 715. Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry joins at 8. Kevin Bryant, author of Spies on the Sideline, joins us at 825. And then Josh Briscoe joins at night taking us home Dylan I just realized this am I the the Tyler Huntley of this show am I Tyler Huntley I'm the Pro Bowl reserve the guy who you're like oh yeah I guess he works in the NFL but that's me for the station is that is that kind of my role here Nah, I would describe myself more as Tyler Huntley <laughs> oh thank you I'm not, maybe I'm Joe Flacco I'm older than Briscoe by, like, four months. I'll give myself Joe Flacco, the wily veteran. But a lot to get into. We're going to talk a lot of Chiefs, obviously, as they're in the Super Bowl again. How fun is it that at this time in February, we get to talk about Kansas City Chiefs football? And we're not talking about the draft. We're not talking about what draft position they are in or guys to get. We're talking about how they match up against the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, I guess Mr. January is also figuring that out right now. But Mr. January is Josh Allen because he never gets to February. Some numbers I want to get to with you, Dylan, before we bring on Jordan Foote. We keep talking about how Great the Eagles are running the football. We talk about how great the Eagles' offensive line is. We talk about how great the Eagles are getting after the quarterback. One thing I want to point out, I'm not taking anything away from the Eagles, first and foremost. They are a great team. They deserve to be here. They beat everyone on their schedule, and they beat some damn good teams. But they've yet to face an elite quarterback. The best quarterback they have faced was Trevor Lawrence in a monsoon. They faced Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins. They faced Cooper Rush one time. They faced Davis Mills one time. There's not a long list of stud quarterbacks the Eagles have faced. It's not their fault. I don't want to necessarily hold it against them, but what happens when they face an elite quarterback in a dome? We're not talking Trevor Lawrence, who's good, in a monsoon, we're talking about number one, one of one, the best in the NFL and Patrick Mahomes in a dome. I don't care if Mahomes is 80%. He won't be 100. We know this. As much as Patrick Mahomes is an alien, high ankle sprain, you're not going to be 100%. You're just not this soon. He'll gut it out. He'll be fine. But even 80% Patrick... It's clear-cut the best quarterback the Eagles will have faced. 
Are we not talking enough about this, Dylan? Are we talking about it too much? But I think it's a legit conversation to have. They haven't faced a great quarterback all season long. Yeah, they have not, but they've also dominated a lot of teams, uh, especially the ones leading up to this game right now. So they're rolling. And oh, yeah. You can only play who you're scheduled to play. There's always that saying as well. But there is a lot to that. And the last time the Chiefs played the Eagles was only last year, mm-hmm. correct? Now, obviously, a ton of changes <laughs> on the defensive end for them. Um, well, and Jalen Hurts is now and, Jalen Hurts. Yes, and also has A.J. Brown. So a lot different, but there was a sizable gap. So the gap is closed, but we were way ahead of them previously, obviously, because they had to fire their coach, hire Sirianni. Last year was his first year. But I think that there is a little bit of an element to the fact that they haven't played anyone, and there hasn't been the quarterback that you can't make a mistake against. Yeah. The Eagles, again, taking nothing away because you mentioned it, and I, I, I'm i with you when it comes to you can only play on your schedule. I'm not saying from a team perspective. I'm taking, I'm taking it as a strictly quarterback perspective because, let's be real, their division was more difficult than the Chiefs. Wild to say after what we thought going into this year. No chance we would have thought going into this season the NFC East would be more difficult than the AFC West, yet here we are. They have dominated. But my question is, if they get down, can Jalen Hurts throw his way out of it? If they get down, can this defense that gets after the quarterback, leading the NFL in sacks, can they stop a run game? That's the question mark. If the Chiefs get up in this game, we're going to find some answers. That's that's what I am looking forward to seeing, and hopefully we get to see is can they? Because he's he was missing some throws in that NFC Championship game. Oh, he's not a hundred percent either. And well, let's be real. First and foremost, no one's a hundred percent at this point in the season. I mean, Patrick's not. But but we know Mahomes and Jalen Hurts both have had obviously sizable injuries. Jalen Hurts was forced to miss two games, but it could be some lingering effects. Like we saw I mean, on a couple had, of those AJ throws. Brown wide, wide open. And then the Devontae Smith, that's an incomplete pass. Mm-hmm. They, people forget they had to rush to the line. And he was open as well, and he overthrew him. And it's an incredible <laughs> attempt at grabbing the football. Great try by Smith. By the way, when you see a player on the opposing team yell at the, his own team to get to the line of scrimmage saying, come on, hurry yeah. up. And let me just pr- also throw a little tag on that. And it's the first half. It's not like it's the second half. You have one challenge left. Hey, I haven't seen it yet. I'm trying to save this in case I need it. You literally have an entire half of football to play. And, I mean, Andy Reid showed that I'm challenging this play, and it wasn't a touchdown. Sure. But it's the first half. Throw the laundry. Throw the flag, yeah. Throw the laundry. I know. It's not going to get your clothes red. It's not going to get the grass red. Throw the red flag out there. Why wouldn't you? And that was, frankly, it was almost all, I don't want to say all downhill from there for San Fran, but that was a massive game changer. It was 7-7 late in the first quarter, and then it went downhill after Brock Purdy, and they hadn't didn't have much of a chance. But that was a game-altering play early on. I'm not 100% blaming the refs. They did 
the best job that they possibly could in that situation. To me, that comes down more to Shanahan and the 49ers not realizing right away that is an incomplete pass. It's like when Tyreek Hill, for example, it's not even the same, but remember when Tyreek Hill had caught that one ball, but he didn't think he caught it, and so the Chiefs didn't challenge it? Oh, yeah. In the end the, zone for touchdown? Yes, I remember that. I mean, who thought he caught it? No one did. No one did. I except mean, no for the bounced. camera. My, my, my point is, it's a, you're going to have some where the refs miss it. But the fact that Devontae Smith, the dude who— Well, it's, it's rigged. <laughs> if the refs miss calls, it's, it's rigged. I can't get over that, man. Like it Aaron, Aaron Foster, and, and it's very scary for society to see some of those comments about uh, people. Really thought that like, it, go on, you know. Let's just no, I know. We it's have to just, leave morons in the past. Like we just gotta move on with everyone yeah, who understands yeah, sarcasm. Move on. And it's it's sar- not They were being facetious. It was a joke. Y'all think Alex Smith is gonna open up his his script and say, "Oh hell yeah, sign me up"? Yeah, and I mean, no. That, uh, that's tough for society's sake, but and by the way, is there anything softer than Bengals fans continuously screaming refs, refs, refs? I've never seen anything like this for calls that were, frankly, not even borderline. I mean, is the AFC soft? I mean, this is two years in a row that when we beat a team that everyone was kind of like hoping would win, that everyone's crying, and now we're gonna we're gonna take a very close look at officiating in yeah. the offseason now because it was the Bengals that didn't benefit. You know, what happened to the, the, when they, beats, Did they loses? complain at all when they got that extra pass interference that set up a game-winning uh, field goal? I didn't hear any Bengals fans complain about a soft P.I. call. Did they complain about D. Ford being offsides? Well, D. Ford was offside, so what do we do? Yeah, right call. When they pushed Mahomes three yards out of bounds... What are you complaining about? Yeah, that's, dudes on Twitter taking still shots. I know that's tough. Whenever I just see a picture, I can I know I can just scroll right past. Oh, uh, it. it's Sharman. Dude, what softer Bengals fans right now are Sharman Ultra Soft? I don't know. The I don't know. It, and and really, like I said, last year we need to change over time because. Well, the Bills lost to the Chiefs. Now, now I don't we got to look at a fish. I don't hate it because as Chiefs fans, we wanted that rule changed. Yeah, I wanted that rule changed. Us, so. They didn't do it, but I'm not going to sit here and complain about it because you know why? I asked for it to be changed. It was a year late, but I asked for it. But we were told, like, get it. I just, to me. I get it. We it, were told to get, I get defense, it. So I get it, but a good rule is a good rule. That's a good rule. Look, you got to put a restrictor or a governor on the best quarterback in the league. So I understand that we have to change the rules to overtime, and we also have to take a better look at officiating. Even though how many team seasons prior have ended Saints? Um, that's, that's just they, the they most tried. terrible one. That was when they tried. They, they implemented the you can challenge it once. I think it was because it was and the so refs bad pushed back so hard. But now I'm saying they're going to take it, a look at it as a whole now. They're going to look at full-time officiating now when they've never wanted to do that. And again, they should, but it should it's not take losing to the, Chiefs. to the Chiefs. Yeah. A loss to the Chiefs is when it happens. Uh, it's, it's mind-blowing. Again, they hate us because they Enjoy ain't us. It. And I will also say some of the same things happened with the Patriots. Let's not act like... This is a new phenomenon. The only thing I will say, Tuck Rule didn't get overturned. 
until 2013. Here's what is going to be funny, too, is all the people that are screaming about, you know, the NFL being rigged and the, everyone favoring the Chiefs. Oh, we're, they're just trying to get the Chiefs in there. We'll be very quiet if Carl Cheffers goes his legacy game on the Chiefs and does what he normally does to the mm. Chiefs, which is hose us every time. They'll be very quiet about that. Oh, yeah. I imagine. Oh, yeah. I'm sure Bengals fans. No, no, no. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to be loud enough because they're salty. Sorry. I tried to say sorry and salty (laughs) there, but they're both. Um, And so they're trying to be loud enough because they think that if they are, because they probably believe it's rigged, that they will favor the Eagles. That they'll say the NFL will be like, oh, well, we don't want to look like they're right and that the Chiefs, I mean, just get over it. Quit they, being loud to just be loud. Just they can believe be what they want, and guess what? They're still sitting at home. Exactly. They're not going to replay that game, ever. N- not going to happen. Chiefs in the Super Bowl three times in four years. Let's take a quick break. Come back. Be joined by Jordan Foote. More Chiefs talk right after this. WHB Jordan Foote, deputy editor of Arrowhead Report, joins us now. Foot, what's this all about? Dylan is out here playing WWE music. This is your intro now, Foot. Why? I, so, first of all, um, I guess three things off of this. Sterling, I hope you're doing well, buddy. Good to chat with you first. Um, second, I feel bad for everyone listening because this is the second night in a row that, that they're going to have to listen to me talk a little bit of football. So, um, apologies for that. Third, Dylan and I chatted yesterday, and he was like, when's your birthday, Foot?" And I said, well, it's January uh, 20th, so you missed it by a little bit. And he said, well, well, for a belated birthday thing, you know, we're going we're gonna to spice up. <laughs> spice up your intro that's already spicy enough. You know, the, the Stone Cold music is iconic as it is. Um, that was that was a lot, man, and that's a compliment. I that. I don't even know what to say. Uh, I don't either. Frankly, Foot, I'm, I'm at a loss <laughs> for words. Uh, apparently you are too since you couldn't text me back about golf. That's fine, though, Foot. No, I don't want to golf either. Uh, how concerned are you about the following injuries? First, let's start with Legereus Sneed being in concussion protocol. How concerned are you here? Um, I think considering the amount of time, like for the player, considering he has taken a beating this year, I'm I'm concerned for him, you know, and his well-being. That's that's a lot. I think he's been in protocol before, uh, but in terms of him being available for the Super Bowl, I'm really not. Like I'd say on the scale of one to ten, like a two, maybe. Mm. Um, he was out getting a little bit of stretching and conditioning. I believe it was described as today out on the practice field. So I think he's going to be okay. I think that's a lot of time to advance through concussion protocol for 
just about anybody, and unless it's like a, you know, uh, two attack by Lois situation where it's just a repeated, repeated injury that you're really worried about, I think Seed's going to end up being okay. Um, he may not practice for a little bit, but advancing through that protocol, it's, there's multiple steps and hoops you have to jump through. This is one of them, getting kind of some light activity going. So I think he is going to be okay, so I rate that a 2. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, okay. Andy Reid already came out and basically says they expect Juju Smith-Schuster to play in the Super Bowl. But you in particular, with the knee swelling, might not be in 100%, not the most athletic guy to begin with. How concerned are you about Juju? Yeah, I think for the Super Bowl, again, like a two, I I do think he's going to be available. Um, Longer term for him, I'd say, you know, maybe a three, three and a half. Like, this is a guy that came into the year battling some injuries in the past and looking to bounce back off of that, didn't stay healthy for the entire season, has been battling the knee thing. And he's been productive, but kind of that production has fallen off a little bit towards the end of the year, not quite the guy he was earlier on. So in the Super Bowl, is he going to be 100%? I think that answer is obviously no. Is he going to be 100% productive? I think that answer is also no. Um, He's still in a position where – the Chiefs can probably look to re-sign him, despite him being maybe the top wideout on the market, um, depending on how you feel about Odell at this point. But overall health, I think he's going to be okay. But that knee injury has been nagging for a while, and he's a guy who hasn't exactly been able to stay healthy. So it is at least worth uh, bringing up a little bit. Kadarius Tony in his ankle. Obviously, he had a filthy move. He was trying to put on a Bengals defender. Uh, got himself as well. How concerned are you with Kadarius Tony? Speaking of guys who can't stay healthy, man, he is like it's like having a Ferrari, and you just don't you don't do any preventative maintenance. You're just flooring it a hundred percent of the time, pedal to the metal, and like you can have a lot of fun with that, but also car's not going to last very long and you're going to be susceptible to running into something or or hitting a snag or something like that so he is a very talented player Um, the hamstring I still think is a constant concern just because he's a very quick twitch athlete and that's a quick twitch injury Um, and then the ankle the way he moves it's he's just susceptible to that man I mean he is one juke away from injuring himself and I, I don't know if you can coach that intensity and and ferocity and quickness out of him and the will to pick up extra yards it's something that everyone praises um again for the super bowl not worried andy reed said today um thursday that he's close to coming back to practice he participated in the walkthrough so i'd say a one for playing in the super bowl like he's going to be out there um again kind of long term though like the other guys something worth bringing up um so uh, from a bird's eye view no big deal but that is the risk you run when you have Tony out on the field. All right, finally, McCole Hardman re-aggravating his pelvis. I still don't know if we ever got a full, transparent answer as far as the actual original injury to McCole Hardman, but how concerned are you about McCole Hardman and his injury? It's a 10, dude, and I (laughs) rarely hit that, but you've got to be spamming the panic button if you're the Chiefs with that whole situation, and you know, they aren't going to be doomed without him because Tony's going to be out there, and I think when healthy and active, Tony can be just as good, if not better, of a football player than McCole Hardman. But McCole Hardman's a valuable piece of the Chiefs, and before he originally got hurt back in November or late October, whenever it was, um, he was 
playing very well. And he had that multi-touchdown game. He was really getting settled in the offense. Then from November 6th until the AFC Championship game, he didn't play a single game. And it was originally an abdominal thing, like you mentioned. Then he came back and practiced a little bit, then re-aggravated it, and it got described as a pelvis thing. Um, I saw it was one of the NFL Network folks uh, a couple of hours ago described it as a core muscle injury, and that makes more sense and can obviously be more detrimental to his health. So, um, again, concern for the, the person and player, and he's going to be a free agent in a couple weeks. And I don't know if the Chiefs are going to you know, look to bring him back, and maybe a big Super Bowl performance would have helped him on, on the bigger market and the local market. So that sucks for him. Um, I don't think he's going to play in the Super Bowl. Andy Reid came out and said it. It's always possible that he gets it, gets it out and plays. Um, but then it could be a Bengals situation where, again, he clearly wasn't 100%, but you have to tip your cap for the player at least going out there and give a fair shot. Yeah, anytime I hear a head coach say, my heart goes out to the kid, he is hurting, though. Uh, that's not a promising sign. Obviously, you feel from McCall Hardman. Uh, hopefully, this doesn't take away from the contract earnings as well. Uh, this was going to be his quote-unquote big payday. Um, maybe this lowers his market that Kansas City can bring him back. But again, you obviously feel for the guy, the player in McCall Hardman. I want to switch gears and talk about the Super Bowl itself. The Eagles obviously have a great defense. We've talked about this a lot already. But they have not faced a great quarterback even if Mahomes is 80%, that's the best quarterback they will have faced by far. The only other good quarterbacks they've faced, Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins, if you want to go there, and then Trevor Lawrence in a monsoon. Are we making this storyline overblown, or is there some real traction to it? I think there's real traction to it, and I told Jack yesterday the best quarterback by QBR, I believe, they face is Jared Goff, and yeah. that's really at the upper quartile, no matter what, with those names you mentioned, he's obviously um, not a better quarterback than some of those guys, but still decent. They have not played, like for every okay or decent or even good or fairly good quarterback they've played, they've played a stinker of a quarterback. And you know, that that's not an indictment on those players, but on one hand, you can only play what's on your schedule. On the other hand, their schedule wasn't good, and, and that needs to be taken into account. Like the Chiefs, were battle-tested throughout the year. Um, the Eagles didn't fare particularly well when they were playing those decent quarterbacks. So I think they haven't seen an offense like the Chiefs. They haven't seen a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. That's going to be tough. When you add in the fact that they haven't played in the Super Bowl with this current team, you know, there's still some guys left from that last one. Jason Kelsey is the most notable. I don't know how many more they have. It's different, and the Chiefs have been there before. So, that is advantage Chiefs for sure. Um, I don't think you could overblow that storyline. Like all off se- or not off season, all postseason, um, and even the regular season, I was looking for a reason to buy into the Eagles, and I'm still something in my gut is hesitating a little bit. If they win the Super Bowl, I obviously will go all in and say they're super legit, and I love the team. You don't get there by luck, um, but I still just cannot fully go all in on this team yet. Jordan Foote, deputy editor of Arrowhead Report, joining us right here, Sports Radio 810 WHB. So, Jalen Hurts, 
had an incredible season. I was fairly wrong on Jalen Hurts. I thought he would be a good quarterback, but I never thought he would be this quarterback. I thought the Eagles team did a great job. Harry Roseman uh, did a phenomenal job bringing in new players. Might win GM of the year. Would not be surprised. But I thought Jalen Hurts might be the guy that holds them back. Well, he's not been tasked to carry this team, although he was one of the front runners to win MVP all season long. What happens if the Eagles fall from behind? Does he have the ability to keep up, to catch up with the Kansas City Chiefs offense? I think it's possible. And and you look at their team, they obviously can run the ball some, and he's a threat with that. But when you get down to the, with from the Chiefs, you aren't going to be running the ball back into the game. You're going to have to be throwing. You're going to have to hope for a turnover. You're going to have to get something good to go your way. Um, he has A.J. Brown, who's a phenomenal wide receiver. He has Devontae Smith, who's blossomed into a really good young receiver. He has enough offensively with the line, with his weapons, and with him, he, he's went from a guy who was a little bit of a one-trick pony to someone who can win at all areas of the field, kind of like the guy in the NBA who's either just a three-point specialist or just a guy who attacks and then dunks. Like a Sterling Holmes, a guy who can just high fly and dunk over every <laughs> out on the court. Then he evolved into the current Sterling Holmes, right? The three-level scorer who can get out there and, and hit a mid-range pull-up or he post-up game, all that good stuff. Um, he is a really, really, really good player. Um, with that said, he's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not perfect. If you get pressure on him, he is still susceptible to some mistakes. His ratings and grades when pressured are not fantastic. So if the Eagles get behind by, let's say, 17-7 at halftime, you're going to have to get a score quickly coming out of the halftime break if it's uh, 27 to 17. Like, if it's a double digit deficit, you're going to have to, on that next possession, get something going. Because if the Chiefs get momentum there, I'm not sure I could fathom them kind of choking that lead away, like at last year's AFC Championship game against the Bengals. I don't see that happening. So they're going to have to get out to a lead or keep it close the entire game, then hope for a good break or a big play from their guys. And they're capable of doing all that, but you definitely don't want to get behind against the Chiefs. Uh, I want to go back and talk about how you knew I was a high flyer, Jordan. Come on now. I dunked one time sophomore year of college. Okay. Oh, man. The Rex should have that tape still. We need that. The world needs that. Yeah. Should I just reach out to Mizzou in the Rex program and say, hey, guys, you might have a tape from what year is that? 2013? Yeah, the second goal from left over there. You know how old I was in 2014? No. I was 14. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. I was. Did we say thirteen? Or yeah, 14? it was twenty thirteen. Actually, I was fourteen in twenty thirteen because I was born in ninety nine. Uh, That's only what I thought. Years. I was young, Jordan, and now you make me feel ancient. I have back issues, pal. Okay, I have throw pillows. I make the bed every morning. You haven't hit the big three zero though, have you? No, not yet. Not. Come on, can't you do some math over here? When was I? Was I at nineteen as a sophomore? <laughs> Oh, yeah, good point. See, like, my memory's hazy, and I haven't been in college in a while myself, so I haven't you know, taken math in, in a few years. Uh, Jalen Hurts, well, here's some math for you, okay? Jalen Hurts was sacked 38 <laughs> times on 460 dropbacks, while Mahomes was sacked only 26 times on 648 dropbacks. I know the Eagles' offensive line is incredible, but are they getting too much credit as far as 
elite, 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 at least when it comes to pass protection? Or is this a case of Jalen Hurts holding onto the ball too long? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. And you look at their offensive line, it's really built well on the inside with Landon Dickerson, Jason Kelsey, and Isaac Sumalo. They have Lane Johnson and Jordan Mailata on the outside, but I believe those guys have been battling some injuries this year and just haven't been um, picture perfect. And it's hard to compete, right, with the interior when it's playing that well. And this is an article from December on ESPN. Um, without pressure, Hertz had an 82.4 quarterback rating, or QBR, sorry. Um, there's a big distinction between those two. And this is obviously numbers changed a bit. With pressure, he went from second in the NFL to 12th in the NFL. And if you take out scrambles, he drops to 22nd in the league. So Jalen Hurts, not to um, say that he spazzes out as a quarterback when there's pressure, I don't think that's quite the term. But he doesn't help himself sometimes. And that's something Patrick Mahomes had to learn to do as well. Like what attack angles to take when you're trying to bail from the pocket, how to move within the pocket, how to help yourself, when to get rid of the ball. That's all stuff that young quarterbacks deal with, and I think Jalen Hurts is made of the right stuff to not perfect but come close to that as he progresses throughout the league. Right now, though, he's still really young. He's still a tad, tad, tad bit unproven in terms of jumping to that upper, upper echelon of quarterbacks. That's going to be something to monitor. If Chris Jones is dominating that interior offensive line, if the rest of the D-line steps up like it did in the AFC Championship game, it's not going to be an Eagles pass rush, but it's going to be a formidable one that was, what, second in the league in sacks this year. So mm. Eagles O-line, not perfect, um, but they do have some dudes. With that said, the Chiefs have shown that they are capable of stepping up when they need to. Yeah, mentioning Lane Johnson like you did earlier as far as the injury, he had like a partially torn groin, and then he fully tore it, and he goes, I feel better. Offensive linemen what? are just psychos, <laughs> dude. They're just psychos. Joe Tooney playing with a broken hand. I just NFL players are a different breed, right? They're they're just built different. And then NFL offensive linemen, they're really built different. I just can't get my head wrapped around that. Yeah, no, that's ridiculous. And I, I did jump in. I'm on Football Outsiders right now. Um, their pass protection rankings. The Chiefs are number five on that list, and the Philadelphia Eagles are 21st. So sack rate, um, adjusted sack rate, the Chiefs, again, fifth, and Philly down at, I can't even find them. They're they're fairly far down that list. So the offensive line, when it comes to the run game, absolutely fantastic, and they're going to move um, some guys. But when it comes to the pass game, Hurts doesn't always help and they're far from perfect. Yeah, there we go, because I, I knew I wasn't a complete buffoon, at least not a complete buffoon for this one reason. But since I also mentioned the Eagles side of things, switching over to Kansas City, 26 times being sacked on 648 dropbacks is incredible. I mean, that's a minuscule amount of sacks taken by Mahomes. Is this more of a Chiefs offensive line? It might be a little better than they get credit for. You mentioned the numbers right there, what, fifth overall in pass protection? Or is this also something of scheme and Mahomes related where he gets the ball out quick, he knows how to make plays happen and extend plays while also not taking the big sack? Where do you lean more so here? I think it's a lot of Mahomes, to be honest with you. And coming into the year, the people expected the Chiefs O-line to be a top-five unit, and it was kind of regarded as that despite – and this is insane, 
they they ranked so high in pass block win rate and run block win rate, and they had so many you know star level players on that interior with Andrew Wiley not playing particularly well, with Orlando Brown Jr. being a turnstile in some games. Those two guys on the outside have not had great moments throughout the season, and they both picked up their play a little bit once the whole line improved. Um, but last week even, Brown didn't have a very good game. I, people said that he did. I did not see it. He also gave up multiple pressures. So they are susceptible to not quite living up to the hype. But when you have a guy like Mahomes where – I don't remember what the number was, but he was blowing every quarterback out of the water in consecutive scrambles without getting sacked. Like, he is so good when healthy and when not battling a high ankle sprain at knowing when to uh, take off and where to take off and being slippery, just slippery enough, just fast enough. He's just fantastic, and he's improved that. He's improved his uh, drop depth in the pocket that didn't help his tackles, especially not great athletes. So he has improved a lot in areas that I don't think people pay attention to as much. They want to look at the stats and keep saying, well, he's not as good as he was back in 2018. He's never going to match that again. He's obviously a better player, and it's because he's taking the what the defense gives him with checkdowns. He knows how to play in the pocket. He knows when to get rid of the ball, and he also helps his O-line a lot. Like if you put a different quarterback back there, like a Jalen Hurts, um, that sack rate and sack number is going to go way up. Jordan Foote from Arrowhead Report joining us right here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. How do you see the Chiefs trying to stop or at least slow down the fantastic rushing attack by the Eagles? They have the fifth most rushing yards in the NFL, most rushing touchdowns by eight, 32 overall. How do you see the Chiefs trying to slow this down? I think it's going to be a lot of discipline, and, and that's been kind of something I've harped on over the past few weeks with this team, and the tackling improved down the stretch of the season, so I'm not quite as concerned about their ability to do that. Um, but maintaining gap integrity, man, Chris Jones has been known to be a freestyler on the inside of the defensive line and kind of take the angles and take the gap that he wants to. And Derek Nottie hasn't been the guy he once was and hasn't been playing as much as he once did. Um, on the outside, though, Frank Clark has been stellar in run defense again. That's something that he's always been good at. Um, It's going to be – they have to be disciplined. They have to be smart. They can't try to do too much. And obviously it's the Super Bowl. You want to play extremely hard. But also you can't over-pursue. You can't miss out on being maintaining gap integrity in your specific assignment. If everyone's doing that, then you have guys like Nick Bolton getting downhill – Willie Gay Jr. presumably playing through the shoulder injury and being healthy. Maybe LeJerry Speed out there providing run support from the slot or the outside. I think they're going to be okay. So you got to be disciplined. you got to be smart. Um, schematically, the Eagles like to run to the weak side a lot. They're, the Chiefs and Eagles are kind of unicorns in that regard. They just have to be ready for that. And they have good athletes. you just got to be prepared. got to be disciplined. And again, be ready for what they're going to throw at you. What do you think the Eagles' yards per carry is? I I just want to play a little game for you. Yards per carry, what are the Eagles at? NFL team rushing stats. I'm going to Google it, but I'm not. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't don't Google it. I'm not going to click on it yet. Um, I think, how many teams in the NFL are at five or above? Can you give me that? Oh, I don't have that on the top of my head. No, I don't have that. Um, I'm going to say, simultaneously, it seems like five isn't a lot, but also it is a lot. So I'm going to go... 
either 4.9 or 5.1, and I could be totally off on that, and I'm going to find out right now. All right, then what do you think the Chiefs are at? Um, oof, the Buccaneers averaged 3.4 yards per carry this season. Yeah, Holy that was just brutal. Oh, wow. Um, I would have said the Chiefs were at 4.6, and it turns out, per NFL.com, um, the Chiefs are at 4.7 and the Eagles are at 4.6. So that shows how much attention I pay to the run game, right? That that was my point. I actually, when I, the one I looked up, both had them at 4.7. But that's my point. And that's what hurts, right? I mean, his numbers yeah. are in a good way. And I, I would assume I'm going to look that up, too. Jalen Hurts is averaging a, a decent amount of yards per carry. So he is on, let's see, how many carries here? Oh, wow. No, that can't be. <laughs> what the heck? Am I looking at the right player? It's only 4.6? I would expect more than that from him. Well, you probably have to include the kneel downs, too. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. They were up in a lot of games. Yeah. So, good point, Fear. You're an outside-the-box thinker, Sterling. See, football outside-the-box thinker. That's that's going to be yeah. our rival competition that you and I are going to create, okay? What do you yeah, think? It, it's almost like they pay you to talk on the radio about sports or something, right? Almost. Almost. Uh, if you are Steve Spagnolo, do you put a spy on Jalen Hurts, or does that take too much away in terms of coverage and pass rush? Because when you have a spy on Jalen Hurts, that takes away someone you can use. What do you think happens? Yeah, I think you only put a spy down when it becomes a problem. And it's probably going to at some point. Like, he's going to break off a decent scramble. The Chiefs haven't got absolutely gassed by running quarterbacks in the recent past with Spags. Um, if they play... You know, a cover one robber look. You have that guy who drops into the, the secondary zone, perhaps. You have him keep an eye on him, among other things, that you're keeping an eye on over the middle of the field. Um, it, it's just, I don't want to call it a waste of a player because obviously it's serving a purpose, but you only have so many linebackers out there. When you're in your sub package, you only have Nick Bolton and Willie Gay out there. It's not like you can have Leo Chanel out there on every down, and they don't want him out there on every down to keep an eye on him. You don't want Nick Bolton to be the spy because he got shook down by Joe Burrow. He's just not that level of an athlete. You don't want to take Willie Gay off the coverage assignment if that's going to happen. So I, I don't know if maybe you, you rotate in Brian Cook and use him as a third safety in that role. Um, it, it's something the Chiefs, I don't think, are going to go to much, if at all. Spags has shown that he's willing to change and he's willing to do stuff that um, he understands the assignment, I guess, a little bit better this year. But I don't expect like a designated single spy for Jalen Hurts throughout the whole game. Jordan Foote from Arrowhead Report joining us right here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. We mentioned the quarterbacks earlier on, but the Eagles have only given up 5.5 yards per attempt, which is tops in the NFL, right? On the flip side, Chiefs come in at 8.1, which is second in yards per attempt. Who does this battle, who does this battle should I say, lean towards? Um, in terms of which quarterback's going to be able to get more chunk plays, do you think? No, no, no. I, I, just in general, Kansas City basically and Mahomes in this passing okay. attack versus the Eagles' defense. Uh, the Eagles' defense has given up 5.5 yards per attempt. Defense, sorry. I should have been a little more clear oh, there. Good. Yeah. I think the Chiefs' quarterbacks just keep defying expectations, man. Like any team, like if you would have told me Team X in just no context is fielding multiple rookies in the secondary and two starting cornerbacks, I guess, or, you know, sub-package, whatever, that are rookies, I'd be like they're going to get absolutely shredded by anyone they play in the playoffs. And the Chiefs just, with Spags, have historically invested next to nothing 
in the cornerback position and still done remarkable things, whether it's tackling, whether it's run defense, whether it's man coverage, whether it's getting – he knows what to do with those guys. You throw Jerry Steen into that picture, they've got a good unit, and they are susceptible, again, to the Jamar Chase explosion or big play or getting shredded by uh, Gabe Davis in the playoffs. But for the most part, they have done well against big-time receivers. The Eagles only have two of them. It's not like they have Tyler Boyd in there as well. Dallas Goddard's a quality tight end, but it's not like Jalen Hurts has absolute uh, insane weapons, but he does have a really, really, really good duo that the Chiefs are going to have to account for. On the flip side, got a good secondary. Darius Slay's a good player. CJ Gardner-Johnson's good. James Bradbury is good. They're going to get pressure on the Chiefs. Um, if the Chiefs progress health-wise, over the next week like I expect them to. I still think I lean Chiefs in that matchup, and they've been there before, and I think that's just a game-wide thought. The Chiefs know what the media week is going to be like. They know how prepared they need to be before they get there. They know what the timing is generally going to be. I think there's value in that. And you got the Andy Reid advantage. So I lean Chiefs. That's not an indictment on the Eagles. They're still super talented. Um, But I do think there's that advantage in having – multiple quality options over two really, really good ones, and then some other guys there with them. Um, the Chiefs went, you know, quantity over quality and still ended up with a little bit of both this year, and I think that's going to help them out. Uh, this is also coming from noted Chiefs hater Jordan Foote. I know. I, it's the, I would say the season of, you know, positivity and giving, but that was, I guess, Christmas. And I, I don't know. I just don't think I can see a world where <laughs> – win this game I absolutely can but I just the gut's telling me the Chiefs and I know that people would be irritated if it was the other way around so my gut just tells me indigestion typically almost always so yeah yeah Uh, do you believe that playoff Frank Clark is a real thing since we're speaking of tummy issues oh man that was a that was a good segue you know it was a bad one but it was a good one because you you were right Uh, (laughs) um It's got to be a real thing. He turns it up to 1,000 in the playoffs, and he's playing his way into returning to the Chiefs next year. Like, I don't really see how you let him go after this. And he clearly likes being there. He clearly isn't good enough to where he's going to get a big multi-year deal at this point. So why not entertain, you know, readjusting that contract, renegotiating it, letting him play out 23 and having a couple years tacked on to the end of that. Um, With that said, one of the top postseason pass rushers ever, which when the Chiefs traded for him, they didn't even expect, and he already had that building resume. Um, he's one hell of a playoff player, man. And when it comes down to it, he's played through so much that people don't even take into account, and it's so tough for him just to get ready sometimes for game days that I will have an endless respect for Frank Clark, and people need to, when he's sometimes ineffective in the regular season, Keep in mind, he does show up when they need him to. Yeah, seriously, he shows up in every single big game, and you cannot take that for granted. Again, we're a week and a half out, but do you have any early predictions? You you hinted at a few, but it can be score predictions. It can be a a touchdown score. It could be some parlay you're intrigued about. Any early predictions? I think you throw Mahomes over passing yards. You throw a Travis Kelsey anytime touchdown scorer in there. You throw uh, Kansas City over 26.5 points. I think they get at least 27. And you throw Eagles under uh, maybe 30.5. And, and you go from there. I, I think, I'm thinking for the score, maybe you even lower that 
my gut right now is telling me 30 to 27, but I just feel like that's Ooh. a fairly high scoring game, especially for a Super Bowl. They're both capable of it, but they both have decent defenses, and Philly's defense is fantastic. So I do think the Chiefs win. I do think it's a one score game. Um, and that's kind of what I'm feeling right now. Wow, the noted Chiefs hater actually has a bigger Chiefs win than even I do. Really? Maybe I'm not the optimistic guy I thought I was. What are you thinking? I I have early again. This is early. We're talking February 2nd. Chiefs 31, Eagles 30. I could totally see that. Yeah, no, that that's not a bad pick. So we're both picking a field goal game, and that's okay. Yeah, and by the way, speaking of field goals, I am 100% trusting Harrison Butker and Dave Tobe at this point, which seems wild to say if you would have asked me eight weeks ago. But I am thoroughly convinced that the Chiefs actually have the advantage on special teams at this point. It's ridiculous. And I said at the end of the regular season, there's no way in hell like that. You just say... When people show you who they are, you believe them. And the Chiefs were showing you for 17 weeks, like, hey, we are not a good special teams unit. And then all of a sudden, in the playoffs, outside of a a couple uh, poor kickoff coverage returns or kickoff returns and coverage, they've been good. (laughs) It's something I did not expect, but it happened at just the right time. And there's that that metaphor, that phrase of teams peaking at the right time. The Chiefs seem to be on the, the cusp of doing that especially on special teams. So um, I think you do trust that unit. It's only been a few weeks of improved play, but they've all been a row. row, I would just say it was a trap all all season long. They they, they knew that. They kept telling Sky Moore is part of the script, Jordan. Sky, fumble the rock until the biggest moment, and you're going to bust it off like we knew you could do all season long. The Chiefs were just holding it back. Come on, foot. Yeah, that's one hell of a script, though, to lose Tyree Kill and still be guaranteed to win. The following year, that's a, that's a good-ass script, man. Jordan Foote, check out all of his scripts as he's the deputy editor of Arrowhead Report. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Footnoted. That's F-O-O-T-E, Noted. Jordan, always a pleasure. Yeah, appreciate it, buddy. Have a good one. We'll take a quick break. Come back. Sports Night, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back into Sports Night, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes again joined by Dylan Michaels. Thank you again to Jordan Foote, footnoted on Twitter. Before we bring on Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry at 8 p.m., author of Spies on the Sideline, Kevin Bryant at 825, which by the way, I'm very excited for that conversation with Kevin. Really intriguing, very interesting, talking about NFL espionage between teams. And then Josh Briscoe joins at night p- at 9 p.m. I guess night p.m., right? 9 p.m., night p.m. last hour of the show. Kind of works. Did you see any of the NFL All-Star Pro Bowl stuff? Because I am intrigued. Uh, I did not. I just turned this to ESPN in here in the control room. Oh, so yeah. I did you not were, get you a were... shot to look at it. Oh, it was interesting. They did a long drive competition. 
Oh, they got the highlights on YouTube already. Well, which let me tell you, Jordan Poyer, he swings the stick, man. That guy's got a good-looking swing. Don't give me that look, okay? <laughs> All I'm saying was he had a nice-looking swing. I saw one dude almost fall over, but I liked it. Long drive competition, cool, that's fun. They did a dodgeball competition where it looked like they were having fun and watching NFL athletes play a game that we used to play in middle school. Uh, pretty fun. All this is to say, this is much more enjoyable than watching the actual Pro Bowl. They needed to do something different. Players don't want to get hurt. They're not going to go and have a whole bunch of contact. Flag football game's fun, but the skills competition point uh, por- uh, portion of this, I think is outstanding. I am a big fan of this. I like it. And this is coming from me, a dude who hates change. If I'm enjoying this, that says a lot. By the way, (laughs) I talked to Dylan about this briefly off air. I was driving and I saw a car, just a normal Toyota in front of me. Toyota Corolla, I believe is what it was. Normal license plate. Not a cop car, firefighter, anything like that. But it had cop lights on this Toyota. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, Sterling, were they on top of the car? No, 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 no. You give this person way too much credit. They were just red and blue lights that were in the back of said Toyota. You could see it through the windshield, which, by the way, yes, the windshield was extremely tinted. They used this and flipped those lights on to go through every single red light. If you work or know where the Union Broadcasting radio station is, right around, what, 119th and Metcalf-ish area, very crowded intersections, a lot of cars, a lot of stoplights. I was behind this guy. Literally just kept turning this bad boy on to go through, and they would immediately turn it off. Now, as I turned right to head to the station, this car turned left. What happened? Not maybe five seconds after I took a Ralph. Cop cars go flying. Real cop cars, mind you. Towards that car. And I just have to ask you, Dylan. Did I witness someone who was just trying to get through red lights? Did I, did I find some undercover human being, uh, some undercover cop who really just hated red lights and was doing a poor job at keeping undercover? Or just a straight-up criminal? What did I witness on my way to work? Well, one and, or A and C would be the answer of, like, both. Like, both A and C. Yeah, because sure. Because if you're just a regular person trying to attach lights to your car to get through <laughs> stoplights, that is called impersonating an officer. Um, but... Yeah, that, you know what? I they got away. I would say that one. You got. You know, I'm gonna go with those two answers. I have a bigger casting a wider net. I, I was just cracking up. I go the stones on this person, and maybe I'm wrong. And this was just a a legitimate undercover cop car, but it could not be a coincidence that the second this car took a left with their fake lights on, legitimate cop cars came after them. 
What's the alleged Chiefs guy that's super fan doing? Chiefs super fans? Are you accounted for? Oh, wait a second. Are, are Chiefs super fans accounted for? Did he make bail? <laughs> we'll take a quick quick break. Come back. Be joined by Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Hey, football fans, it's Chiefs Hall of Famer Nick Lowry. Celebrate game day with El Bandito Yankee tequila and ultra-premium tequila made only from 100% Blue Weber agave, the finest agave from the highlands of Jalisco, Mexico. No fake colorings or flavors in their verified additive-free Blanco and Reposado. Maybe that's why they've won the double-blind platinum and gold medals and now are listed as one of the world's top tequilas by Rolling Stone Magazine, by Esquire, you name it. Make this season so smooth, it's criminal. With El Bandito Yankee, the official tequila of game day, and be sure to visit ElBanditoYankee.com. Welcome back into Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes joined now by Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry. Nick, how you doing? I'll tell you what, it's never been crazier. Everybody's coming to to uh, Phoenix, and I'm doing interviews with Mick Schaefer from NBC Television on Sunday with Nate Vickers from CBS, KCTV5 on Tuesday, and then doing an event with uh, Terrell Davis and Lee Steinberg and Jeff Garcia Thursday, and our buddy Chris Katz, the anchor for many years, superstar anchor for ABC, KNBC. So, it's great. It's like a reunion and, you know, nothing better than celebrating the chiefs three times now in four years in the Super Bowl. but there's a maturity to this team beyond its years, a young team, uh, a maturity in Patrick Mahomes that, you know, was interrupted, uh, and disrupted as you remember just a couple days before that Super Bowl in Tampa Bay and Tom Brady by that horrendous traffic accident by Andy Reid's son. And I keep saying that because, it just threw the team off, and we had the middle of COVID, you might remember, so nobody left as they normally do a week before on Sunday, so they have a week to kind of get comfortable with the new surroundings. Instead, they were going to fly out right before the game like a normal week, and they just, you know, Patrick Mahomes was not yelling at his teammates on the sidelines, inspiring them. He looked like he had a you know, deer caught in the headlights look, as did Andy, for a reason. That's not the only reason. But we were off, and I think that still reverberates in Patrick Mahomes' mind as does the people that were there like Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid. So now we're going against an Eagles team having, shall we say, to some degree put to bed some of that Burrowhead crap. Uh, Thank you, Chris Jones and company, and thank you, Harrison Butker. Yeah. First off, it sounded like uh, they were all celebrating drinking some of the El Bandito Yankee tequila hearing Travis Kelsey postgame. It sounded like he got a, uh, a drink or two in before that speech. But yeah, <laughs> b- b- before we talk about the upcoming Super Bowl match between the Chiefs and the Eagles, let's take a quick look back. What were some of your takeaways from that game? It was obviously a close game. The Chiefs got it done. You mentioned Bucker coming up clutch. But what were some of your main takeaways from that game? 
Well, I, I saw today that Patrick Mahomes practiced, did a full practice. I mean, that guy is so tough. The high ankle sprain is one of the most lingering ish, issues you could possibly have. And just as a testimony to him, the last run of the game, they put us in the position, what would have been a 60-yard field goal attempt. Uh, and then, of course, with that uh, very fortunate push out of bounds, it was a legitimate penalty, gave us a 45-yard attempt, and my man Harrison came through. But that, to me, is the leadership of Patrick Mahomes. Then you look at uh, Joe Thune and the difference that he made for Orlando Brown on the left side of the line because that pass rush that had been uh, much more significant in the early 13th week game between the Bengals and the Chiefs was uh, significantly reduced. It gave Patrick time to throw. And then, of course, he's hitting Kelsey. Uh, but thankfully, we had MVS because Juju Schuster, Nicole Hardman, I mean, everybody's getting injured. So the good news for us is it's two weeks to recover. Um, and I would not be surprised if everybody, with the possible exception of McColl, are back because a pelvis injury is just so difficult. And then Kadarius Tony got injured too. So we need him because he's just got that big threat. I mean, he, there, he presents a question mark to the defense. On the other side of the ball, you've got the Eagles <laughs> with a phenomenal line on defense and offense with four guys with 10 sacks apiece. I mean, that's unheard of. And so everything, I think, uh, at least initially, strategically has to be to protect Patrick, give him time to throw him. Like I said, throw in an extra tight end, extra lineman if you have to, because Patrick will find the two receivers, you know, not maybe the four. He'll just need two if he has time to throw. It's going to be a really interesting thing. I do not think that Justin Hurts is anything close to Patrick Mahomes as a passer. He's a great runner. We'll have to stop him. But that last game showed me that the Chiefs, when they put their mind to it, when they've had to make big plays, almost always they have. And Patrick is a bit more mature guy. He, as he said, in his own words, he choked last year in that championship game against Cincinnati. And so he's playing this year with a, with a mission, and I look forward to just seeing something special. Shutting down Justin Hurts, who only threw for 121 yards, by the way, uh, in that game last week. Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry joining us right here. Just speaking of heroics, Harrison Butker, all season long, you and I, we've been on the same page trying to tell some Chiefs fans who are, who are calling for, for Harrison Butker to get canned, say, hey, calm down. He's been so good for so long. He always seems to come up huge in the clutch, and this is why. How much of a redemption story is this for Harrison Butker? Do you believe he's truly back? Just as a guy like Butker, you obviously being a former kicker, you know, these game winners, there's even more pressure on them. How great of a job did Harrison Butker do? Could not have done better. Um, I mean, seriously, three field goals last week, the game winner right down the pipe. It's interesting, too, because the Bengals did not call timeout. I, I don't know if they didn't have any timeouts left. I can't remember. But but normally, you know, the Weenie head coaches, I call them Weenie for a reason when they do that. Uh, they call that timeout. So that's one thing. But the week before, two 50-yarders, 51 and 50-yarder, and a game-saving tackle on a kickoff. To me, that could have been a game-saving tackle. So, you know, um, he's, he's, he's a really clutch kicker. He's one of the top three kickers in the NFL and just a great guy. And he's when you cu- couple him with, with Tommy Townsend, I mean, that's an all-pro punter. That's a pretty special group of guys. But um, we're going to need everybody. What every great team understands is everybody plays a role. Everybody. The, the trainer 
plays a role. <laughs> you know, everybody plays a huge role, and the equipment manager plays a role. Um, this will be indoors, and that helps for the kickers in perfect weather, somewhere between probably 55 and more likely 65 and 75 in the stadium out here. Uh, so that won't be a factor, and Patrick tends to do pretty well there. But he does well in cold weather, too. That's the other thing about Patrick. I didn't see one player complaining about the freezing temperatures. They were focused on the game, and uh, to some degree, that pass rush by the Kansas City Chiefs uh, put a, a stalwart, incredibly mentally tough Joe Burrow. Um, it humbled him. You know, you could, it, he wasn't going to give up because he's just that special, but <laughs> you get tired of getting hit, and he forced a couple balls just slightly early, and we got a couple interceptions on him. Meanwhile, Patrick was perfect. Uh, before I talk about the pass rush from Kansas City, you called them weenie coaches uh, when it comes to icing kickers. Does that mean you hate getting iced, or is that one of those things where it didn't affect no. you when you were playing? You didn't care? Well, I... I I think what you do is it's how you manage that time. If they call a timeout, you run to the sidelines. What I would do, kick into the net, take advantage of it. Don't stand there and just think about it. I'll never forget Scott Norwood, two consecutive timeouts on him before he missed to the right, that 47-yard field goal in the 1990, uh, 91 um, Super Bowl. And if he just went to the sidelines, I think that would have helped him. He had never kicked a field goal over 40 yards on grass before. And, uh, you know, when you stand out there, it's just too much time to get self-conscious and not just stay in your rhythm. So for good kickers, if you're a very good kicker, it helps you. For the kickers that are average and below, it can maybe not help you. So that's my answer to that is you have to have a strategy and, and take control. Don't let them try to dictate where you are and how you handle that moment. Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry joining us right here. So back to the defensive line for Kansas City. We know about the sack numbers. We know how good Chris Jones has been all season. But playoff Frank Clark is here. Playoff Frank Clark is a real thing. Chris Jones in his own right stepped up big, put all the haters to rest, all the folks that say, yeah, he's great in the regular season, but where is his playoff sacks? He got them and closed that game out. What have you made of the Chiefs defensive line? Well, first of all, Chris Jones, have you noticed he's had sacks on almost all the big games in the last month and a half mm -hmm. to close out the games? And then you've got Carl Aptis. I think I saw him counting one, two, three, four sacks. <laughs> I think we had five sacks, maybe. You know, so uh, there's a rookie who's only going to get better. Um, so that makes a huge difference. You know, there's no way, no matter how strategic you are, no matter how accurate you are, when you've got a hand in your face, somebody about to hit you. Uh, and you've got to get rid of the ball or else they will hit you before you throw the ball, you tend to make mistakes, not be so perfect. I don't see – I saw probably three passes uh, by Jalen Hurts that were not just off target. They were way off target. So that's what we've got to do with him. And, of course, figure out a way to shadow him so that he can't run too effectively because he'll probably get 100 yards rushing if we're not careful. But, um, you know, some people say they're all talking about the best offensive line, the best defensive line, or both owned by the Eagles. We'll find out. And the trump card is Andy Reid, and the trump card is Patrick Mahomes. Bottom line is we've got a coach who's more experienced, more innovative, another coach who's done a great job managing a tremendous amount of talent in Nick Sirianni. And then we've got a quarterback who's the magician. It reminds me of my next-door neighbor, Mohammed Ali for 12 years I'd come over every month or so just to play cards with him and and magic he'd love to perform his magic 
and that's Patrick. Patrick generates a different, unpredictable, original script whenever he's up for the moment. Well, speaking of magic, Patrick Mahomes has been sacked 26 times on 648 drop-back attempts, right? Only 26 times. Jalen Hurts, on the other hand, we keep talking about the Eagles' offensive line. He's been sacked 38 times on only 460 attempts. Uh, Magic Mahomes it is. I I don't know if we're not giving the Chiefs' offensive line enough credit when it comes to pass protection. I don't know if folks are overblowing how talented the Eagles' offensive line is when it comes to pass protection. I don't know if it's Jalen Hurts holding on to the ball too long or Mahomes getting it out quick, but it feels like Mahomes is doing a phenomenal job at getting the ball out and not taking the back-breaking sack. And that's also Andy Reid knowing how to confuse the defense, you know, with his screens and all the different movements, lateral movement as well. Jalen Hurts taking a little bit longer. And frankly, let's let them talk about how great that offensive line is for Philadelphia. Let's let them talk about that Reggie White-like pass rush with the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's let them, because in the end, Just like people, as I said earlier, talk about Patrick Mahomes winning the MVP, he would say and has said, who cares? I've done both, and losing the Super Bowl ain't a lot of fun when you win the MVP. It doesn't matter. What winning the Super Bowl means is you are establishing a Hall of Fame uh, legacy for yourself, but also a legacy for Kansas City. And after 50 years, to be in the third Super Bowl in four years, and frankly, to undo, to go back to what I originally said, to undo that stain on our soul, the Chiefs' soul, by how that three days, a couple days before, that Thursday morning, Friday morning before the, the Super Bowl in Tampa, and how it just destroyed, I think, the momentum of that team, um, that's not going to be there this time. And I see the resilient Chiefs with uh, the best coach and one of the best two coaches in the NFL. I don't know who number two is, frankly, at this point. Um, I think Andy Reid stands alone. Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry joining us right here with Harrison Bucker going back to the field that he got injured on at the beginning of this season out there in Arizona. Do you think there's any thought in the back of his mind about, hey, this is where I got hurt, or is that just completely out of the equation? It's only fair as a human to have those concerns in my mind, but what are you thinking here? Well, if I were him, I'm just going to say what I would do, which is what happened there? Like there was a slip. So if that turf, that that grass field has a looseness to it, I'm sure he's thinking I'm going to make sure I've got the right kind of cleats to make sure. If you've noticed, he used to have a 10-yard run-up on kickoffs. Now it's five yards. It's for that reason. He doesn't have to be running quite so fast to hit the ball into the end zone and, and beyond. So He's made adjustments. Um, He also happened to hit a 54-yard field goal with a one-step field goal in that stadium, in that game, with an injured ankle. So um, I don't think it's going to be an issue. Uh, Very quickly, that was very intriguing. You mentioned how he cut his his run from 10 yards to 5. Is that a reason why we've seen less touchbacks as the season's gone on? Or is that more of a schematic thing that Dave Tobe is asking him, saying, hey, we think if you get him and kick it to the one or two-yard line, if they try and take it out, we can stop him before the 25. Which way do you land here? Oh, I, I think it's just, you know, when you're giving yourself less of a run-up, you're not going to hit, you're going to lose a couple yards on it. Um, and that's about it. Uh, Dave Tobin occasionally strategically if you're behind and you want to you want to get the ball back, you hit that ball high to the goal line, let him return it, and give a chance to knock the hell out of it because 
Harrison can get a nice 4.3 second, 4.4 second hang time, which means your guys are getting down and they're going to hit him around the 15-yard line. How amplified are the nerves in a game like this, just a big game in general or getting into the playoffs? How much different is that from just a regular season week two game? As far as a kicker, a player, is it one of those situations where you're you're nervous and you feel it just immediately at kickoff, or does it slowly go away because you end up thinking, you know what, it's just a game. I've been here time and time again. This is the sport I love, the game I love, and it's just another game into the day. Well, it really helps, frankly. Another thing, you know, when they talk about that great offensive line and defensive line for the Eagles, we've got this thing called Super Bowl experience. Now, not all the players are there from that experience, but enough of them are there that helps. But the truth is, only half of the fans that are in that stadium are deeply embedded, emotional, crazy Chiefs or Eagles fans. The other, they're about 65,000, I think, at most. It's smaller than Arrowhead Stadium. So that means they're going to be about 30,000 people that are, you know, they're cheering, but it's just not the same. It won't be 142, 143 decibels, you know, like Arrowhead Stadium. You know, it'll be more like 100. And you notice the difference. Um, it's just there's an emotional level that's a little bit more uh, tame. Now, you might remember the only outdoor Super Bowl in recent history in New York, the, the Seattle fans were in one end zone, and there was uh, the first drive of the game, Peyton Manning was just shocked because he was standing at about the 10-yard line. I think something happened on the kickoff, and he, he could barely hear himself because that 12th man from Seattle made so much noise, and he did not expect that having played another Super Bowl. So that's the exception that proves the rule, and I, I just don't think it has that level of emotion except the fact that it's an important game. But it's, it's muted. It's not quite the same. Who are you looking forward to being your El Bendito Yankee player of the game against the Eagles? Well, I think, number one, there's going to be a surprise. I think there's always somebody that just rises up and has an amazing game. Uh, let's give credit to MBS. I mean, number 11 just made catch after catch when no one else was available. And that, that points to Patrick Mahomes that, you know, you could have – the, the girls' basketball team, and not being misogynistic here, I'm just saying, you can have the girls' basketball team from the 8th grade school, uh, you know, St. Patrick's School in Kansas City, and, uh, and, and he'd probably be able to hit a couple of them for completions. You know, that's, that's how innovative he is. So I'm going to go with MBS as just realizing he's got to step it up. I'd love to see Kadarius Tony. I always say that because, you know, there's the – the man that can emerge from that youthful beginning that was not successful in, in, with the Giants and show everybody up. I mean, that really was so close to a touchdown at the beginning of the game. Um, but on, on defense, uh, incredibly important to, again, to have that pass rush. And then Legereus Need coming back from an injury. I mean, that's our best coverage guy. And he's had injuries each of the last couple of games, but he's come back. I mean, I want him, and that's secondary in general. I'm just going to say the Chiefs secondary if they can do a good job, what's great is how young they are and how much better they are than that first game against Cincinnati, even though it was the 13th week. They keep getting more mature. Uh, and so, in the end, if we can stop Jalen Hurts, who is supposed to be you know, such a dramatic and is a physically gifted player, I just don't see him killing us in the air. And that means that makes it a, a one-dimensional game on offense for Philadelphia. 
Well, you nailed it last week with the win over Cincinnati, predicting we'd be drinking a El Bendito Yankee celebratory drink. 24-22, that's pretty close. You nailed it. I said 27-24, so you and I combined, we, we crushed it last week, Nick. We crushed it last week. But give me your early, uh, what's it, a little over a week, week and a half out, give us your early score prediction in this one. I'm going to go with Chiefs 31 and Eagles 24. Uh, I, I think that um, Andy just seems to come out with new stuff every time he has an extra week, and that's another sign. I mean, the two great signs of a great coach to me are when in two weeks you just get that extra edge. That means there's extra advantage, and then the halftime adjustments. Mm. And uh, Marty Schottenheimer, God bless him, best player, best coach that I ever played for. My name's next to him on the wall at Arrowhead Stadium. I'm just so honored because he taught me and showed me how to turn a team with virtually the same talent in one year into a tough playoff caliber team. But having said that, people didn't like that, you know, too much. They didn't think Marty could make those adjustments. I don't know if that's true, but I know that Andy Reid can, and I know that this team is able to do that. And that's what makes football four times more popular than baseball and basketball because not only do you have the physical supremacy, the speed, the violence, the grace, you've got this three-dimensional chess game of strategy, and then you've got 11 man-on-mans. You know, it's just so beautiful to watch the game get more interesting the more you understand it and your eyes are trained to see so many interesting things going on. So that's why I love it. Football, the game of games, while El Bendito Yankee Tequila is the drink of drink. Nick Lowry has the Chiefs winning a Super Bowl, while El Bendito Yankee Tequila has won platinum and gold medals, one of the top tequilas in the world. El Bendito Yankee Tequila, so smooth, it's criminal. Nick, absolute pleasure having you on, man. I'll probably talk to you next week, hopefully at least one more time before the Super Bowl, before the game. Until then, man, you take it easy. Can't wait, brother. Go Chiefs. We'll take a quick break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back in. Sterling Holmes joined now by Kevin Bryant, author of Spies on the Sidelines, the high-stakes world of NFL espionage. You can get this book at most major retailers. Trust me, you're going to want to go out and get it. First off, Kevin, it's been a long time. Welcome back in, man. Hey, Sterling. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. First, give the listeners who weren't able to listen to this, what was that, six months ago now, a little debriefing about this book. Right. So the book is called Spies on the Sidelines, the High-Stakes World of NFL Espionage. And it is all about the collection techniques that NFL teams use uh, to try to get an advantage uh, against their opponents, as well as all the countermeasures that teams employ to defend against those collection efforts. What got you interested in writing this book? Was there a certain moment that you're like, yep, this is it? Wasn't an NFL moment, something outside? What got you interested? Yeah, so, you know, with my background, I've got 20-plus years of experience collecting and protecting information for the Department of Defense. 
and a master's degree in intelligence studies. So, you know, I had, I had an interest in all things intelligence. So as a Broncos fan, when, um, we got, you know, we, we acquired a former, uh, you know, Patriots head, you know, um, coach and he was, he brought along with him a videographer from Patriots who had been involved with all things Spygate. And, you know, they ended up, that videographer ended up taping a walkthrough practice for the San Francisco 49ers. And at that point, I just became, you know, really curious as a Broncos fan. And, and, you know, this was after Spygate. And I thought, man, this is two big spying scandals now that have gone on. And I just wonder how much of this goes on in the NFL. So I started researching it and just went down that rabbit hole for a number of years. And when I realized that no one had ever written a book on the topic. I said, you know what, this is, this is my chance to, uh, to become an author and uh, do something that I've wanted to do for a long time. What's easier to get info out of, the government when it comes to this or the NFL? <laughs> <laughs> you know, both are pretty tough. It's amazing um, how well um, things are guarded. And much, you know, like the classified world of, you know, the U.S. government when it comes to this, you know, all the spy stories and whatnot that go on. Um, a lot of the times, you know, information about spying in the NFL doesn't come out for a long time afterwards. It's when coaches sit down and want to write their autobiography that a lot of these stories finally come to light. So, you know, sometimes it's you're hearing things for the first time 20 or 30 years or even more after they've happened. So, you know, it's an interesting topic to try to gather information on because of that. Kevin Bryant joining us right here. Do you expect more or less tampering in these big games, the AFC-NFC championship game, the Super Bowl? Obviously, so much more is at stake than, let's just say, a regular season game. But it also feels like there's more at stake, more to lose if you get caught. Is there more tampering that goes on in these big games, or is it actually less? Yeah, there's certainly more. Um, and I'll, So, first of all, those, you know, the coaches are winning, that are winning are routinely, their teams are very good at gathering information on opponents and protecting their own information. So that's one. Um, two, especially for the Super Bowl, you have an extra week to prepare for the game. So, you know, there's two weeks between the, the AFC, NFC, NFC championship games and the Super Bowl. And so... During a regular week, there's just not a lot of time to do as much as you would want. But that Super Bowl week, well, you've got an extra week to be able to do things like potentially spy on your opponents. And, of course, the stakes are much higher. You know, who doesn't want to win a Super Bowl, man? This is the ultimate. So coaches and teams are willing to do just about whatever it takes to win. And sometimes that means using some rather devious methods to get the job done. So the Chiefs and the Eagles, obviously, those are the two teams facing off. We're here in Kansas City. We don't like hearing anything negative said about our team. That's how fandom works. Is there anything in regards to Kansas City, to Andy Reid, that you have found? He consistently wins. He won in Philly. He's won here in Kansas City. What's there besides just his greatness and success that helps? Is there any tampering allegations in regards to KC and Andy Reid? You know, I've researched Andy Reid because he's one of those 
he's a great coach. And so, you know, I, I would, I expected to find some stories on him, but I wasn't, I wasn't able to. Um, so, you know, he's, I can't wait to read his autobiography once he's done coaching, because I'm sure there's going to be some good stories. But having said that, um, you know, I do have a, a, a pretty uh, good story that relates to the Chiefs um, dating all the way back to, uh, let's see, it was with, it was with Hank, St- Hank Strom uh, when he was the coach in 1970. So they were playing the, the Chiefs were playing the Raiders in the AFL championship game which would determine which of those two teams went to the Super Bowl against an NFL opponent, you know, back when the AFL and the NFL were doing their merge. So Hank Strom, he got a phone call out of his hotel from an alleged fan of the Chiefs who said, hey, Hank, what I have here, I've got a placemat that the Raiders quarterback, Daryl LaMonica, was drawing on while he was seated at a table in a restaurant. And I was right across from him, and before the waiter came and picked up this placemat after Daryl Lamont left, I picked it up. I snagged it. And it's got some plays on it, and I want to know if you're interested in having it. So Hank said, yeah, bring it by the hotel. Um, when he did that, there was when he had that conversation, Monsignor Mackey, who was the chief's unofficial clergyman, was also in the room. And he said, hey, Hank, you need to be careful, man. This is potentially, you know, we're dealing with the Raiders here. And Al Davis, he could be trying to set you up to get you in trouble with the league. He could be feeding you false information, all types of things. And so Hank said, yeah, you're probably right. I probably don't want to pick this up. And so he said, hey, Monsignor Mackey, why don't you do it for me? And so that's exactly what happened. And um, Monsignor Mackey ended up gathering this placemat. Hank Strom took a look at it, at it, realized it was definitely drawn by a professional. And so he had his defensive coordinator uh, prep for some of these plays that were on the placemat. And what it showed is that the Raiders' top wide receiver was going to be lining up in the slot, which hadn't happened all during the regular season. And so the Chiefs were prepped for this, and lo and behold, the Raiders did end up moving that wide receiver into the slot during the second half. And the Chiefs were prepped for it and ended up pulling a huge, huge upset over a very highly favored um, you know, Raiders team. That is incredible. That's just called using some advantages right there. Advantageous, if you will. And that also teaches you, don't go drawing on placemats. I don't see Patrick Mahomes doing that. Seems like a, uh, a a bad situation to be in. As far as Deflate Gate, that's one of the biggest ones in recent memory. Obviously, the Patriots are known. Bill Belichick is known for having all of these espionage situations surrounding them. Is there another team that does a lot of this but just kind of goes under the radar? Yeah, you know, that's a really tough question to answer. So these, you know, currently I, I, I can't say that there's a team that uses, you know, um, these scrupulous methods to be able to gather information on others. What I'm sure of is it's taking place. So, you know, just like the world of inter- international espionage, how many for every, you know, for every incident of spying, there are tons of others that 
no one ever learns about or that are learned about years and years after the fact, right? And, you know, the same thing is going on in the, in the world of football. And, um, you know, very often coaches aren't willing to, especially if it is a coach who, you know, they know someone's trying to collect against them. Let's say they have a photographer who's taking pictures of the field or is using his iPhone to record this stuff. Could it just potentially be a fan? Yes. But if it's a really professional setup, such as someone hiding out in a hotel up above or who's got a professional level camera, you know, they're going to go, yeah, this is probably another team trying to get this job done. But they don't always know who it's – they can't always confirm what team it is. Even if it's, you know, let's say the Chiefs have an upcoming game against the Raiders and they're, you know, and someone's filling in. Well, they've got a pretty good suspicion it's the Raiders. But they don't want to put that out and say that in the media without being able to absolutely prove it. So, you know, there's quite a few instances where coaches today are going, yeah, we had people spying on our practices, but, you know, we don't want to name names without the proof. And then also a lot of times, you know, coaches don't want to throw stones if they're living in glass houses, meaning a lot of teams – are stretching the boundaries, if not breaking rules. And so if you're doing that type of stuff, you don't necessarily want to point the finger at opponents and raise up these issues to the NFL because that can just come back to haunt you. And I've got some incidences of just that taking place in spies on the sidelines where, you know, teams are like, hey, you know, look at what these dirty scandals are over here are doing. And then that team goes, it says to the NFL commissioner, oh, yeah, well, you were doing the exact same thing, and look at this, and we've got proof, and, you know, and then it just ends up being a whole big hot mess for the NFL. <laughs> Kevin Bryan, author of Spies on the Sidelines, joining us right here. So after the AFC Championship game, all the Bengals fans were crying, rigged, rigged, rigged. You look back at it, I, I don't know how you can scream rigged. It seemed like the majority of the calls were very easy to make. Uh, we obviously know in the NFL it's a difficult job being a referee. Refs are just put in a tough spot. It happens week in and week out. But they're crying rigged. Any chance in your mind the NFL could potentially be rigged? Because I think that's just completely asinine. So it sounds crazy, but, I mean, so I, do I think that game was rigged? No, first off, okay? Yeah. Now, is it possible? Absolutely. So if you look over into European soccer, okay, you have, man, there were hundreds of games that were fixed for uh, Champions League and English Premier League games. And this this came out just a few years ago, three, four years ago. Um, And there was a major investigation, and that was was their finding, was, yes, there are absolutely games that are being fixed. Um, So is it possible in the NFL? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the NFL has a team, NFL security, and they go. These are a bunch of, for the most part, former FBI agents who try to make sure that games aren't being fixed. And having a referee who is getting, you know, has a very small salary in compared to this billions of dollar industry. Um, yeah, it's possible, and it's been a concern for the NFL in the past. It will continue to be a, a concern for them in the future. Um, so, 
you know, I don't think the Chiefs Bengals game was affected by that. But I mean, you're talking huge money, and then you're talking about you know stuff like the mafia influencing games, which is a big NFL concern. And um, you know, when you're dealing with organized crime and everything that comes with it, it is. Yeah, that that is in the realm of possibility. But but so you're basically saying it's more of a one-off, more so than the NFL as a whole having a a actual quote-unquote script. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't have any I don't have any evidence that this go, is going on today, um, and I, I I very much hope it is not. But throughout the history of professional sports in general, worldwide, this type of stuff takes place. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin Bryan, author of Spies on the Sidelines. Before I let you get out of here, what is one other story from your book? Just just give people a little teaser. One of your favorite stories from your book. Yeah, sure. Um, so um, let's see here. You know, when we're talking Super Bowl stories, I, you know, I think everybody thinks of, um, you know, of all the collection, uh, you know, all this collection stuff that goes on. But teams spend just as much time just trying to protect their own information. And a lot of times coaches get really paranoid, um, and sometimes rightfully so. So this one's from the 1998 Super Bowl between the Broncos and the Packers. And Coach Mike Shanahan was really, really worried about a practice field that, um, uh, excuse me, a hill that overlooked his practice field in San Diego where the Super Bowl was going to be played. And so what he did is he went out, and, you know, San Diego has a huge Navy and Marine presence. So he went out and hired 18 Navy SEALs to secure this hill and to make sure that the Chargers couldn't, or excuse me, make sure that the Packers uh, couldn't spy on any practices. And at one practice, um, the Broncos' uh, late owner, Pat Bullen, um, was there when a news helicopter flew over the practice. And he said, and this is a quote, uh, Mike went crazy. I think he expected one of these guys to shoot a Sam missile at it and knock it out of the air. So, you know, just goes to show, you know, um, you know, coaches are paranoid and um, they are willing to do anything, um, including, including, using our elite special forces to ensure that, um, you know, they have an advantage going into a game. If you want to read more, if you want to learn even more about the high-stakes world of NFL espionage, make sure you go and buy Kevin Bryan's book, again, author of Spies on the Sidelines, High-Stake World of NFL Espionage. You can get it at any major retailer. Kevin, it was great having you back on again, man. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. Por el camino del desierto, el viento me despeina. Sueva aroma de colita, no nada, nada de la Welcome back into a Sports Night, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes with you with Dylan Michaels. Thank you again to Kevin Bryant, author of Spies on the Sidelines. I don't know why that song just made me laugh so much, because 
I'm looking back at my recent music I've listened to. So I'm a huge music guy, and when I say I listen to all genres, I really listen to all genres. You want to take a little, a little guess on the last, I don't know, let's say like seven bands that are on my just listen to on Apple. At all seven? You just take, take just na- name Red Hot a Chili ba- Peppers is one. Surprisingly, no. Oh. You're not going to guess any of these. Just th- th- the point is, this is who I am, and why you play that song. I was going to pull up the uh, buzzer and the ding 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 for my um, final six. If you want to let me go for them with three strikes, g- sure, go ahead for them. I'll yeah. give you three strikes. I, I don't think you'll get a single one correct. Um, let's see. <laughs> What do we want to do here? I'm going to go with... All genres right here. Okay, yeah, give me the genres. I, like a phone a friend. We have uh, metal, rap, alternative rock, classical, <laughs> opera, punk, and kind of country slash southern rockish. Okay, country slash southern rockish. Nah, I'm not gonna go with that one first. I'm gonna go classical. Okay. Is it Sinatra? No, 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 no. I'm talking classical. Like we're talking 1800s. Oh boy. Okay, I'm gonna stay away from that one. <laughs> I wanted to listen to a nice overture. Uh, the last one I'll go with is hip hop and rap. What year? What what decade? 2016 to now. This like was, he hit. The yeah, scene yeah. In this was this was getting me pumped up for basketball. Okay, little baby. No. I told you. I I, I tried being nice. I tried you sa- did. saving you. You did. Hey, I get guess the hard rock slash metal band. They were Fallout from Boy. nineteen hard rock slash metal, and you said Fallout Boy. What? Ah. <sighs> Motorhead. Uh, uh, didn't you say alternative though? Motorhead. Who I did say that. Who was putting Motorhead on the system down there? You. It was me. Who was the alternative? Alternative. The main. I had no shot. And Anne Berlin. Yeah, I had zero. I shot. told you you had I, no I, shot. I, the rapper Kevin Gates. Oh. Uh, I I did know that. <laughs> the the classical. Richard Wagner. Yeah, good old, good old. So Wagner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then opera was Bocelli. Look at you. And then oh yeah, the the country slash southern rock. I couldn't say a little little. It was kid rock. Oh yeah, it was bad. It was more of a joke. Bob Ritchie. Good old uh, uh, ball with a ball and cowboy. Among other things, yes. Among other things, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, when you played that music, I go, all right, I got you on something more random. What I've listened to in the past three days. <laughs> that was as random as, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever looked back at your history on your internet and just wondered what you've looked up? Because I have. And there are some wild things that I just, I get so curious about. And I'm just sitting here like, why would I need to know who sang this song in 1937? Why would I need to know how to make pesto? Am I ever going to make pesto? 
God help you if you do. It's a mess. <laughs> but I look it up. All right, let's talk more. NFL, Chiefs, Eagles, Super Bowl 57. Who has a better day, A.J. Brown or Travis Kelsey? A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown runs deeper routes. I asked you, so I will respect your opinion. I feel like. So I'm going to respect your opinion here. The one pushback I will give... Eagles run a lot of zone defense, right? A lot of zone coverage. Where does Travis Kelsey thrive? Zone coverage. Yep. But what are we gonna, are, are we really going to play zone and leave him just running all over the place? Can we not double him with a zone? No. With AJ Brown, the the thing that gives me hope. Well, that's what I'm saying. Can yeah, you yeah, bracket yeah. Kelsey and zone everyone else. I, I get it. But with AJ Brown, I might be over optimistic. But how the Chiefs secondary played against the better wide receiving core of Cincinnati, better throwing quarterback in Joe Burrow, man, maybe I'm foolish, but J- Jalen Watson, Legereus Snead hopefully is going to be back after the concussion, Trent McDuffie, Josh Williams played well, Brian Cook was making plays. Again, maybe I'm foolish, but they seem to be clicking at the right time. I know they're young, but sometimes when you're young, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know as a rookie you're not supposed to be being or playing this well in these big moments. They're not making mistakes. I said going into the Bengals game, no Bengals wide receiver would go over 90 yards. I had Cincinnati fans in my mentions calling me delusional. Who's delusional now? Not a single Bengal receiver went over 90 yards. I think this Chiefs secondary can hold down A.J. Brown. He'll get some. But I don't think I'm worried about A.J. Brown. Frankly, I'm more worried about Dallas Goddard over the middle. And my opinion here is I think Travis Kelsey has a bigger day than A.J. Brown. Who do you think Mrs. Kelsey is secretly rooting for more? Jason or Travis? I wonder if it's Travis just, or my bad, Jason, just because he's closer to retirement. Mm. And maybe she knows something more than everyone else, but I don't know. She's probably, again, who said it? I can't remember, but I think it was Travis said that she'll just be rooting for the offense for both teams. Oh, that's clever. She'll just be rooting for the offense there for both go. teams. Nice high-scoring game. A triple overtime, <laughs> 68 to 65. Chiefs win is what she's you know what she's betting the over yes (laughs) which we all should well life's too short to bet the under come on now the only thing that would not get the over is the fact that they can just do the ground and pound 1930s football you know quarterback powers and they I mean just watching what they did to the Niners on the all 22 yeah Fred Warner, the best linebacker in football, is stuck in cement because he has to honor 
everything. You watched you Jaylen, watched it on the, the the RPO option. Well, Dylan, you know, I'm not a big fan of the RPO. I don't I'm think not. you're a big fan of the RPO. But when your quarterback's Jalen Hurts, it kind of works. It, but it, it's not a longevity thing that's great. I mean, it's not going to produce. Uh, he already hurt his shoulder. Yeah, but it it works in these games. If you That's can get Fred Warner to think, and Nick Bolton, by the way, is Great one of the, the smartest linebackers in the NFL. But you're going to have to play the slants, yep. everything across the middle, while also you're trying to get ahead of a pulling guard or Jason Kelsey coming through, you know, pulling. Like, man, it's going to be tough to. Is that a spot you're most worried about so. is Jalen Hurts, just Eagles much, offense, Yes, just how RPO. multiple they can be yeah. is what is concerning. But be- uh, I don't want to say they were like this with the Niners because Jimmy G couldn't run. Yeah. They had a they great running run. game. They could pass out of play action really well. I think they, they were trying to go for this that could- with Trey Lance. I, I think that, And I was saying this and why I thought Trey Lance was going to be so effective. But I'm with you. The Eagles... Offense takes advantage of Kansas City's weakness, but on the uh, and yeah, closing time. What, Dylan, we have another hour left, pal. Closing time, closing time, Dylan. Closing this hour. You closing this hour. You think we're we're leaving? We are not. We have another hour. We gotta annoy Briscoe. Come on. All right, does Patrick Mahomes throw three or more touchdowns? Who wins the battle between the between the Chiefs' offensive line or the Eagles' pass rush? Uh, O line. Give me O line, baby. Chiefs will win in the trenches. Take a quick break. Come back. We'll be joined by Josh Briscoe right after this. Stay.